First Chronicles chapter 19, and if you can and will, we're going to read just a few verses here, and I'll get right in the message this morning. And of course, good to have my wife, Kelly, back here, and then my youngest son, Jack. We have an older son, Isaac, that uh, probably I mentioned last year, and uh, have a wonderful family. I've been blessed. I thank God for it, and uh, the Lord has been so good to us. First Chronicles chapter 19, I want you to look with me down to verse number 10. And uh, we'll read down through the next uh, four or five verses here. And uh, 1 Chronicles chapter 19, beginning in verse number 10. Now when Joab saw that the battle was set against him before and behind him, everywhere he looked, battle, he chose out of all the choice of Israel and put them in array against the Syrians. And the rest of the people he delivered under the hand of Abishai his brother. And they set themselves in array against the children of Ammon. Ammon, of course, is the enemy and the Syrians. They're trying to battle them. They're in front of them. They're in behind them. They're pretty much all around them. They feel like they're just uh, surrounded everywhere you look, just enemies everywhere. And so he puts some there to fight off this group, puts some to fight off here. And he says, others, I'll give you to, my, uh, uh, to Abishai. You, you place them where they strategically can be in the blessed place. And then uh, <clears throat> notice verse number 12. Very interesting verse here. And he said unto the whole crowd, the whole people of God, uh, if, now notice the word if. Notice he didn't say when. He said, if the Syrians be too strong for me, then thou shalt help me. But here's that word again. If the children of Ammon be too strong for thee, then I will help thee. Then verse 13, this is my text verse. Be of good courage and let us behave ourselves valiantly for our people and for the cities of our God. And let us do that which is good in his sight. When I read that last line there, that just kind of jumped out at me. And, and that's what I want to use this morning as our message and kind of platform this morning I want to preach to you about. Uh, in life, we're all going to feel like everywhere I look, <laughs> troubles, trials, heartaches, difficulties, enemies. I mean, there's no escaping. And pretty much what Joab was telling the people of God, if they be too strong, you know, this group, or if this strong. Hey, we'll help each other. But what he was, I think, trying to say and trying to paint it over to where people wouldn't get discouraged, folks, <laughs> I don't know if we'll get out of this one. We might, but we might not. Since we don't know what's going to happen, we know one thing we can do. That's verse 13. Let's make sure that we behave ourselves valiantly. And I'll explain that in just a minute. And he said, let's make sure that when it's all said and done, that we did which was right in his sight, not what was right in our sight. Oh, if we're not careful, we'll do the first thing that we feel is right in our perspective, in our eyes. And we'll leave God totally out of the picture. What a man here. That's the kind of guy that I'd want in charge of my army. And so I want to talk to you a little bit about that this morning. Simple message, let's behave ourselves. Let's pray. Father, I love you. Thank you for the joy to be able to preach this morning. I pray you'd speak to my heart. Help me to be a help and a blessing to God's people. 
Thank you for what we are enjoying here this morning, starting out brand new week. We have no idea what might uh, await us this week. Could be good news, could be not so good news, could be another trial, could be some, just some dark moments, some valley times, might be mountaintop experiences. But since we don't know, God, please help us to know that we can trust you. Even when we can't trace you. And may we just behave ourselves and do that which is right in your sight. And we'll thank you for what you do in this service this morning. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you so very much. Anybody ever remember as a little boy, I, mean, I, I remember as a little boy growing up, <clears throat> uh, especially in church. Now, I grew up in church all my life. My wife, however, did not grow up in church. And it was amazing how when we came together and we met, I was in church, she was out of church, and, and she didn't get saved till she was in the second week of Bible college where we met. And she heard the gospel for really the first time, the true gospel that, you know, and she got saved. And so we're thankful for that. But we had totally different backgrounds growing up. I grew up in church. In the church I grew up, uh, old-fashioned, independent church like this, a growing church, soul-winning church, ran buses, and I can remember just, you know, as a little boy, great memories of exciting services and, and God doing great things, altars being busy. And I believe in every church, altar ought to be busy. And, and, and joy, I remember those good things. I remember several times we had pews in our church. We didn't have padded pews. You know, years ago, most people remember, uh, you, it was hard to find padded pews. And, and I remember we had these old hard, uh, just oak pews. And uh, I mean hard. I mean real hard. And uh, I, my nephew and I, my, I have a brother that's 20 years older than I am. He had a son when I was one year old. You know, it's always a joy for me to tell everybody I've been an uncle since I was one. And, uh, you know, so I have a nephew, and we kind of grew up together. We went to church together. One night, we were getting ready to go back Sunday night church. My nephew, he punched in his car, he, in his pocket. He said, Kirby, put some of these matchbox cars in your pockets. He said, we get to church, we'll roll them to each other on the pews. You know, there's no padding there. It's like, wow, now they'll really go well. And so we put these matchbox cars in our pockets, and I didn't want dad and mom to know that. And I knew that that was not the thing to do. But I did that which was right in my eyes, not in his eyes. So we get to church, and my dad was an usher. It was for 41 years, still in church today. He probably ushers today at 93 years old. And uh, I remember sitting in church that day, and we were back here. My mom was right there on the pew, and, and um, we were sitting there, and at preaching was just getting ready to begin. I know this is terrible to say, isn't it? We pulled our matchbox cars out, Brother Seymour, and we got on the pews there, and we're standing behind, and I thought, okay, when a preacher gets a little bit louder, that way he can't hear it, and mom sure can't hear it. We'll pin that Camaro down the road. And wow, we did that two or three times, and all of a sudden, I never dreamed that it was going to, you know, make that noise all the way down the pew. Oh, mom turned around and looked, and I thought, uh-oh, uh-oh, put the cars up. Man, we've had it. We're in deep trouble. Well, he didn't stop. He kept sending that car down there. And I don't know why, but I kept sending it back. <laughs> and about that time, I felt two-thirds of my body lift up on one side and I looked up and my dad had a hold of this ear. If you notice this ear on my body is a lot bigger than this one is. I mean, it, anybody ever have a dad that really got a hold of your ear one time? My dad came up to me, Brother Dale, and he pulled my ear up and he said, give me them cars and he said, and you hadn't seen the end of that when we get home. 
Man, did I not want to go home that Sunday. I wanted to go to an orphanage. I mean, I wanted to go anywhere else. I did not want to go home. It wasn't going to be a good sight. And, and it wasn't. And, you know, I always say, I bear in my body the marks of Jay Campbell <laughs> to this day. And uh, I paid a great price for that. But, boy, you know why I got in trouble? I misbehaved when I should have been listening. And I've thought about that so many times. And, and I, we probably... I think if we were all honest today, we could all say at some point in time we misbehaved. There's probably a few here that were perfect and never did any wrong. And, and uh, God bless you, you know. You're the utmost of what we look, we look up to. Boy, if I could be like you, that'd be great, wouldn't it? But <clears throat> honestly, I've learned something in six years of having a ministry all about trials. My wife and I talk about this a lot. You know, when trials invade our life, if we're not careful, we have great tendencies to let those trials cause us to misbehave. Here's the people of God. And real quickly, I want to give you just a few thoughts here this morning, four simple thoughts here on how to not misbehave. But let me just kind of give you a little introduction here. Now, <clears throat> David was a great king. Bible says, man after God's own heart. Oh, I know he wasn't perfect. We know he sinned. But yet, got to understand, it was God that said that about David, not another man. And we just have to trust that God knows best. And by the way, God's never made a bad call yet. I mean, he's never made a bad call. You might be sitting here this morning and think, well, in my life, I think God has not been fair at times. And I've met people who are bitter, who are angry, who are upset at God, who have thought, wow, I had a man on my bus route one afternoon. I knocked on their door. His name was Bill Bustle. He was known as a town alcoholic. But his wife and three, four children, I believe it was, came to our church. I have seen him curse my mother out because my mother was the bus captain. I was a six, eight-year-old that went out my mom on the bus route. I've seen him cuss my uncle, who was my pastor, out and get off my property. And then I'd be there on times when he hadn't been drinking and he'd be as nice as could be. But Bill had a problem that, and his problem was, he was lost. One Saturday, we had left his house, went home that evening, the phone rang, my mom got a call. You will not believe what happened at the Bustle house today. Their little two-year-old boy was out in the front yard with the kids playing ball. The little ball got out into the road. The boy went out, run out in the road, right out, did not watch for traffic. Car came by, hit the little boy, killed him right there on the spot. The dad, the alcoholic, ran out into the road, picked that lifeless body up, held it up in the sky as it was told to me and said, you're responsible for this. I hate you, God. You know what was going on in his life? A major trial. Now you say, why does trials like that happen? I have no idea. Because I can't and neither can you explain why or how God does some of the things that he does. But as I said a while ago, God's never made one mistake. Later on, that dad, we got to see him walk in the door of our church a year or two after that. Walk down the aisle, trust Christ as his Savior. Now, it didn't bring the baby back. But I'll tell you what it did. It cured him of his misbehavior. 
You know, when trials come in our life, we might can be like the army of God, the people of God. Boy, the Syrians are all around us. The Ammonites are here. Oh, Abishai, we've got one here. I don't know how we're going to see our way through this one. Everywhere you look, there's enemies. Their battle is bigger. And, oh, if you haven't noticed, Joab, they're much bigger than we are. They got a lot bigger swords over there than we do. Their army's a lot more massive than what we are. And, you know, sometimes as Christians, we might look at the world we're in and think, wow, the enemy all around us is much larger than us. And probably that might be true. But what we must not forget is no enemy is ever too big that our God can't take care of. Well, I want you to go back to chapter, uh, the first part of this chapter, chapter, chapter 19. Look at verse 1. Let's kind of find out what happened here. How did these people get so upset, the people of God? Look at verse 1. Now, it came to pass after this that uh, Nahash, who was the king of the children of Ammon, See, the Ammonites were the one who were causing the enemy against the people of God. Guess who their king was? Nahash. And it says here, he died. And his son reigned in his stead. We find out verse 2 who his son was. His name was Hanun, H-A-N-U-N. And it says in verse 2, and David said, all right, being the king and the man that he was, man after God's own heart. I think David acted just like God would have acted. Hey, I just got word, king of the Ammonites, even though they're not the best of people, he died. David said, I will show kindness unto Hanan, his son. Well, I hate that his dad died, even though they're the enemy. David, masterful man, said, I tell you what, I want to do something kind to his son. I want him to know that we might be enemies, but we love him. We care about him. And look at verse number two. He, he says here, uh, because... His father showed kindness to me. David said, I can remember a day when that king, even though he's our enemy now, he was kind to me. And because of that good deed, I want to make sure that I repay that good deed. And since he's dead and gone, I'll do it to his son. Wow, what a, what a man. I, that's the kind of friend I'd like to have, amen? Now notice as it goes on. And David sent messengers to comfort him concerning his father. So the servants of David came into the land of the children of Hammon and to Hanan to comfort him. But there were some events that took place. Hanan got a little bit of jealous of David. He got a little bit angry and upset. He didn't take David's kindness in a good way. And he took it to meant that David was trying to up one on him. And, and which was the wrong way to take it. It was the wrong attitude to have. But for that, the rest of his life, he did not like David. He just hated him. And he set out on a journey to do all he could to try to destroy King David. Christians, you ever thought, wow, have you ever had somebody that you did something good for? And then the end of it, that person you did good maybe didn't do something good back in return. Or we've all probably had that happen to us. I go in for a surgery. I put my whole life into the hands of a doctor who's been trained, is the expertise, and I come out knowing that now I live the rest of my life with injuries sustained from a doctor. You know, there's a lot of things in life that happen that we can say, as I said a while ago, it just doesn't seem fair. 
only to go to a meeting not long after that when I met with our Christian attorney, Dr. David Gibbs, and he comes into the room and said, Brother Mrs. Campbell, not only did that doctor mess you up, but we've investigated since your surgery, that doctor now has messed up 13 other patients. And right now there are 13 live ongoing lawsuits against that doctor. And he said, Brother Campbell, I hate to tell you that news, but we sure got to do what we can do to see to it this doctor doesn't practice anymore. I'll be honest, I came out of that room, I was like, you're kidding me. And for the first time in my life, I began to feel a little bit of anger. I began to feel a little bit of bitterness. And I thought, wow, I can't let myself get to this point. I, I, I can't. And in pastoring 15 years, you don't pastor for uh, any amount of time and not notice from time to time there's going to be some people who go through some difficult trials in their life and if they don't handle them right, instead of behaving, they sometimes misbehave and they allow themselves to get bitter. And then all of a sudden it dawned on me and God stepped in and he taught me a great lesson on bitterness. And it was like he was saying, Kirby, now you can get bitter. You can get bitter. You can get angry at that doctor. You can let that ruin your whole life. Or you can take what's been done as something that I allowed to happen in your life because all things work together for good to them that love God and who are according to his purpose. He said, or you can get bitter and angry and handle it your own self. I decided that if I was to get bitter, I would only be adding more misery and more pain to myself that at that point, I really just didn't need to have. I just decided, God, I'm going to take it that you know best. And I'm going to trust you on this one. Now, I don't want people to say, boy, that Kirby, he's such a great Christian, because I'm not. But I would a whole lot rather you say, that Kirby Campbell sure been through a lot. But I'll tell you, that God that Kirby Campbell has is a great, wonderful God. I would want that said of me hands down any day. So David's done this, and he says, let's show kindness. It backfired on him, blowed up in his face. Hannon got mad, got upset, set out to destroy the people of God. Let's annihilate them. Let's take them. Let's decapitate them. Let's kill them. Let's destroy them. We'll be better off if we get rid of that crowd. And then we get down to verse 10 in our text here. Joab, he met with the people of God. He said, folks, they might be bigger than us. They might be stronger than us. Might look like we're not going to get out of this one. There's no way to get out of this one. But here's what we got to do. Let's behave ourselves valiantly. The word valiantly means that this, this here, I, I put down, I looked up the definition. It means acting properly or courageously or heroically whether or not you win or lose. Isn't that amazing? And I believe God's trying to teach us, his children, that today. Christian, I know the devil's a prince of power of that world you live in. And by the way, we don't need to worry about whether or not we're going to win or lose because I've read the last chapter in the last book of Revelation and I know who comes out on top and to God be the glory. But until then, there might be times when it looks like it's falling apart everywhere I look. Everything is caving in on me. I don't know which way to go. I don't know which way to turn. But, oh, if we get to that point, let's behave ourselves valiantly. 
courageously, heroically, so that in the end we can come through it with maybe a few scars. You won't go through life without having a few scars. And then we can look back and we can say, I did it. I made it. But only because I had a great God. And that's what God wants us to do today. I want to give you four things here on how we can behave ourselves valiantly. Very simple message here. Uh, My wife and I in four and a half years have been on the road. We've dealt with a lot of people who are hurting. One month ago, I got a phone call. My wife brought the phone running out the yard. She said, it's Greg. And I said, Greg. And then she told me, and I won't use his last name. He's a dear friend of mine. I knocked on Greg's doors 30 years ago. He was out of church, saved, out of church, and just away from God. When I went in his house at night, Brother Samuel, beer cans laying all over the living room. He was so ashamed when I came in. He said he was trying to hide them, kick them under the chair, you know, and, and, and just, and, and <clears throat> he told me about his life, his whole story. Well, he got into church, got rid of the beer cans, got his life on track, got forgiven of his sins. Man, things are going good. A few years down the road, didn't hear from him. Next thing I get a call and says, my wife left me. Got out of church, got away from God, got out of God's word. I mean, soul winner. He's a airplane mechanic, very brilliant-minded person. Worked on our buses. He could fix anything just like that. And he called me and he said, "Wow, Brother Campbell." He was crying. He said, "I've never been as low as I am now." And I just thought, if I could hear your voice. I know you've been going through tremendous more trial than what I'm going through. But he said, my wife's left me. My life's a wreck. It's miserable. He said, I don't even want to live. He said, right now, I have the ammunition and the guns right here. I'm ready to end it. I said, Greg, you listen to me. Don't you dare do something selfishly don't you dare do that I said you know in your heart that's not right you know really what I was trying to tell him don't you dare misbehave my wife's been dealing with a a preacher's wife for several months only just a few weeks ago she did that same thing and she did end up taking her life Oh, you think, how in the world could somebody get there? It's called Satan, the devil. Oh, he wants us to misbehave. He wants us to not do that which is good in God's sight, but to do that what we think is best in our sight. And look at that last part of verse number 13. He said, be courage, uh, uh, let's behave ourselves valiantly. Last line, and let us let the Lord do that which is good in His sight, folks. We got to get our sight out of the picture. Realize it's God's sight, because God can see the whole picture. God sees tomorrow. We can't see tomorrow. All we see is clouds. God can see the sun on the other side of the clouds. All we see is darkness. All we see is a valley. All we see is a trial. All we see is this big financial hole we've collapsed in. Oh, but my friend. My God sees the far bigger picture. 
And it's better that we don't misbehave in that time of desperation or despondency and do something with regrets the rest of our life. But let's do that which is right in his sight. Number one, here's how we do it. Oh, and, and, and boy, yeah, we, we all have to work at this. I've had to work on this in the last six years of my life when that trial came to life and it looked like I lost everything. Why do God, I have to lose my church? Why do I have to lose the people I love? Why do I lose my salary? Why do I lose my insurance? Why do I lose everything? Our home. But you see, I was only looking at it as my eyes saw it. Boy, I thank God that he's allowed me to preach now every single Sunday, Sunday night, Wednesday night. He's allowed me to be with my wife this October 32 years. I have one son, 28, one 10, going on 30. <laughs> I mean, man, life is good. It's wonderful. I'm in Michigan. It's the middle of April. It's snowing. Praise be to God. Hallelujah. But the sun is coming around the corner. Amen. I mean, that's how life is and all. But number one, we have to, first of all, if we're going to behave properly, we've got to learn to surrender our pride. I love verse 12. Here's what Joab said. He said, if the Syrians be too strong for me, then you help me. But if the children of Ammon be too strong, then I'll help you. You know, he wasn't a cocky guy, was he? He didn't say, uh, Brother Dale, folks, gather around me. Bless God, we're going to take their heads off. We're going to swear at them. We're going to do whatever we got to do. We're going to jump on them. We're going to defeat them. No, he was honest with them. He said, you know what? I don't know how it's going to work. We might win. We might lose. But here's what we do. Let's come out of it on the end saying, boy, that crowd behaved. They behaved themselves, not just behaved, they behaved valiantly. They didn't know how it was going to turn out. You know, the only one way you can do that is that say to your pride, pride, you are not going to dictate to me what I'm going to do. Well, if we're not careful, our pride is so powerful. It can jump on the throne of your heart and your mind and your thinking and your life and it can drive you into places. It can take you through doors that are behind those doors. It's, it's awful. And, and you know, the Bible says we're all drawn away of our own lust and enticed in James it says. Oh, but the devil sets pictures as traps out. He puts paintings out. He opens doors. But we got to be careful. Oh, I'm not going to let my pride take me through that door. I'm going to humble myself in the sight of the Lord because he promised in the book of James chapter 4 he will lift me up the way up is first you got to go down he surrendered his pride said folks we're not going to be prideful in this matter we're not going to get arrogant we're not going to get cocky you notice and I've learned in six years I didn't go back to see Seattle and say feed five full fum I smell the blood of a doctor in my mouth there in Seattle you ruined my life you messed me up no I'd be the loser. That's not what's good in God's sight. That'd be what was good in Kirby Campbell's sight. And when our pride is not surrendered, we'll say things, we'll do things, we'll think things we never thought we would do. I've had so many Christians come up, my wife and I, and say, I don't know how you've kept the spirit you have. 
I'll be honest, there's been times it's been a battle. But I've learned that a wounded spirit can affect multitudes more people in a bad way than a good spirit. And I don't want to do that. Just quickly, my son and I, we were just going to Mississippi three weeks ago. We were about an hour away from there. We stopped in a town in Tennessee. I don't remember the town. It's 2.30 Saturday afternoon. We went in. Somebody gave us a Starbucks card. We was going to go in and get a coffee, and he wanted a strawberry lemonade. My wife wanted hot tea. We got my drinks, and Jack was with me. Kelly was waiting in the car. Got the drink, and I got mine. And When I bought it, Jack came over to me, and I didn't even know he was coming, but he went over and he grabbed me around the waist. He said, Dad, thanks for buying me a lemonade. You're the best dad ever were. And I thought, man, I think I buy lemonade every day for that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And I paid no attention to it. We go over there to where we wait for our drinks. We got our drinks, and a gentleman come running over to us. He said, sir, I, I, I'm so-and-so. I know you don't know me, and I don't know you. And he said, I just saw what your son did. He said, I got three children. He said, that just got a hold of me. He was crying. And I was like, well, okay. I had to think of it. What did he do? <laughs> And he hugged me. He said, he thanked you. He said, is it all right if I give him a dollar? I said, well, I know Jack. I've never known him to turn money away. <clears throat> he pulled a dollar out, gave it to him, and he came over, and we go out to the car. We're getting ready to leave. Sir, sir, it's me again. I'm sorry. He said, I again don't know you, and you don't know me. He said, but I cannot tell you how that touched me today. He said, I'm trying to get out of alcoholism. He said, I don't even know why I'm telling you this. I don't even know you. And he said, when your son hugged you, he said, I looked up and I said, boy, I'd love it if there's a God that could hug me like that. Wow. I went and got a brochure. I told him I was a priest. He said, you're a preacher? Wow, of all people to talk to, a preacher. Wow. And you know what? In about two minutes, the man bowed his head there in the parking lot and asked Christ in his heart. Hey, you know what that was a reminder of? I'm glad I didn't get prideful back a long time ago because I still want to help somebody along life's road. I don't want to hurt somebody. You know, hurting people have tendencies to hurt people. I don't want to be that kind of person. Number two, quickly, we got to go. Number two, verse 13. He surrendered not only his pride, but he surrendered his personal behavior. We see that here. I won't go back and read it again. He said, let's be of good courage. Let's behave ourselves. You know what that means? That means we're not going to get mad. We're not going to get angry. And we're not going to get bitter. If I were to ask this morning, don't raise your hand here, okay? But if I were to ask, how many in this room feel like at some point in your life you've been done wrong? We'd all throw our hands up. Amen? But even though we do wrong, we're still supposed to behave. Don't get angry. Don't get bitter. Don't get mad. Don't chop somebody's head off. Don't go get them back even. Recompense to no man evil for evil, but only provide things that are good and honest to all men. Number three, quickly, and i got to hurry. Look at the third thing. Look at verse 13. Be of good courage. Let us behave ourselves. And look at that last line. And let the Lord do that. Notice the word, let the Lord. Let the Lord. I put down, you've got to surrender your position. You know, if we're not careful, sometimes we'll just get locked in on a position in life and say, I'm not moving. 
I'm just not a nice person. That's the way I was raised. I'm not going to be nice. I'm not going to be friendly. I don't care what they say. And folks, can I tell you, that's the kind of attitude that's misbehaving. My family and I, we go to Christmas Eve every year. We've done it since my wife and I have been married for an hour and a half. Every Christmas Eve, we go to a mall somewhere in America. We don't go to buy anything. We don't do anything but get a coffee or a tea and just sit and watch everybody. Wow, could we tell you some stories on Christmas Eve. While the music's, it's the most wonderful time of the year. That's mine, I had it first. No, you're not. I get the discount. Why does it? Like, what in the world's happened here the joyous time of the year? Wow. It, I, I mean, it'll surprise you if you do it. I mean, it's just shocking. I'll tell you what, you see a lot of misbehaving, don't you? If we're not careful, we've been in on that sometimes. Got to surrender position. What's your position? You know what? I've been knocked around in life. I've had some hardships. I've had some trials. I've had some things taken from me. But I'm not running. And I'm not quitting. Blessed be God, I'm going to stay in here. Because I won't, when I get down to the end of the road and the Lord looks at me, I hope he'll say, Son, you had a few bumps along life's road. You had a few knockdowns. But you did good. And I hope I can look back one day and see my children grow up and them to have the experience of knowing that they had a dad or a mom who behaved. And that's what we ought to do to our children. We ought to behave so our kids know how to behave when trials enter our life. Number four, and I close. Verse 13, same thing. It says, and let the Lord do that which is good in his sight. My last point is in the end, we have to surrender our purpose. You see, life's not all about us. People ask all the time, Brother Campbell, if you didn't have treasure trials and you hadn't had this disease happen to you, what would you be doing? That's an easy one. I'd get in the car today and I'd drive all the way back to Seattle and I'd walk right back in my church. If they would have me and I'd walk back to the pulpit and I'd take up where I left off because I loved it. That was the joy of my life. One of the hardest times of my life was helping that church when I resigned get a new pastor. Now I have no awe in my heart against the pastor. They have a good man and I thank God I helped them get him. But when I left, I looked back and I thought, Brother Seymour, that's my pulpit. That's my office he's sitting in. Those are my people. You see, I've had to learn <clears throat> this forethought. You see, life's not all about Kirby Campbell and my purposes. I learned that from, I think, the best there's ever been. His name's Jesus. But when he looked at Calvary and he was in the garden praying and blood came out of his, or sweat came out of his blood and he said, if you be willing, let this cup pass. But nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. You'll never go wrong letting God do what's right in his sight. Let's pray. Lord, I love you today. I thank you for the opportunity to preach. I pray that
the message can be a 